Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Thank you guys so much for leading us this morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 14, so be grabbing, flipping over there. I've missed you guys. I, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back. Jacob and I were planning a switch. Um, Jacob Smith was here last week, and it was so good for him to jump in here. Um, I was over at Anderson last week playing with those folks over there, but I'm so glad to be back with you guys this week. Um, just kind of as a little heads up, over the next uh, two weeks, we're going to be marching uh, to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this week, we're going to look at the Passover and the Garden of Gethsemane in particular. And uh, next week, we're going to look at some, his moment uh, walking literally to the cross um, that morning. So let me read a little bit for us. I'll pray for us one more time, and we will jump in. This is Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. I pray for us. Lord, I pray that as we look at the last days of your life, we might see how great the cost it was to lay down your life for our sins and And see the depth of your love. Lord, I I pray that as we we contemplate the Passover and your time in the Garden of Gethsemane, that we we would see how great the cost and see how much you poured out your life for us. So now we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever wished you knew your future? You ever wish that you knew exactly what life was going to look like for you in your future? You ever prayed about that? You ever prayed, God, I just wish I knew what major I should pick coming into college. And then once you're in college, you're like, God, I just wish I knew the job that lay ahead of me. Or like, God, I just wish I knew who would be the one. Are they here at Southwood this morning? Just just point them out. I'll talk to them later. I won't even interrupt the sermon, God. Just let me know what my future holds. Have you ever wondered that? Wondered that? Ever wanted to know, God, what are you going to do with me in my life? And I think the reason we ask that question because is because there's this expectation. Like, if I know what's coming, it will be easier to walk those steps. Like, if, if I know what's ahead of me, it will make the, the challenges of the present easier to endure, but not only the challenges of the present easier to endure, the, the path forward easier to embrace. And, and we think that way. Like, if I just knew what lie ahead, it would be so much easier to walk these steps. And I would say, sometimes, sometimes, In this moment with Jesus' walk, literally marched to the cross, we see that he knew every step. He knew every play that was going to be called. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew every step he would take. And he knew the cost. And he knew he would need to walk this alone. And he knew that the path for freedom was through pain. He knew that rejection would bring redemption. But as we're going to see in this section... It was not an easy walk. 
knowing what lied ahead, didn't make these steps any easier to walk. And I tell you what, so many times in life, as, as you think about times that we've walked through in life, we think about it in terms of, I, I just wish I knew. And we, and we look forward, hoping that, that we can know what's happening. And oftentimes we live life in reflection, knowing that certain events happened to set up a situation. It was, it was that person you sat next to in chemistry class that would become your best friend. It was that person that you sat next to in biology class that you would marry, table hosts. Um, there's like these moments that you see in reflection that you know the significance of. But in this moment, Jesus knows every step. He knows every moment. He predicts everything that would happen because he knew what was coming and the significance of every single step. And what we see in this section are four things he predicts. Four moments that he knew was going to happen. Four things that he knew was going to be right in front of him. And four predictions that he makes. And I, and I think we see that he knew everything that was going to play in his life. As we've looked at the Gospel of Mark, and we're kind of trekking through the Gospel of Mark, skipping and, and highlighting moments, we knew that Jesus was playing the game like no one else has played. He was playing the game of life like we've never seen. I mean, if, if, it, was a, if it was a player, if it was an athlete, we would, we would say uh, this of him. It's like he knew he could read the field. He could read the defense. He knew the offense. It was like he could read the field. If he was in finance, we would say he knew the market. Everything that happened in his life, he knew. And in those fields, in athletics or finance, knowing what's coming, people would, would, would do something to protect themselves, right? So if you knew the financial market was going to crash, you would take your money out of that stock and put it in another stock, right? In, in, in athletic world, if, if you know something is going to come, if you know someone's going to come attack you or come hit you, you're going to dodge the play and throw the pass. But in this moment in Jesus' life, he knows every play that's coming. And if it was like a boxing match, instead of dodging every swing, he's going to step into every punch. Instead of looking to, be, to miss the swing, he's going to literally step in. He's like, I know that guy's going to throw a right cross. Here we go. I know that guy's going to jab. Boom. He steps into every punch and calls every play. It's amazing. And what we see is this, is that he is like a sheep led to his slaughter, knowing every step along the way. He knew every step in his life. And the first thing that we see is this, that he, he knows what the perfume's for. In chapter 14, verse 3, there's a woman who comes with an alabaster jar of perfume. We're going to cover 72 verses, so I can't read every single verse, but go back and read it. There's a woman that comes with an alabaster jar of perfume. One of the gospels says that it's worth 300 denarii. Literally, a denarii was a day's wage. This was 300 days wages. It was likely a family heirloom. A woman wouldn't have the money to buy something that valuable. And it says that she broke it and poured it over him. Some of the disciples were like, why did she break something that was that expensive? And he says, calm down, guys. She is preparing me for burial. He knows exactly what's coming. This is preparing me for death. And then he calls the next place. He says, hey, we're going to go the next day. We're going to go this way. Here, I need you to find a room for us to celebrate the Passover. 
The Passover was one of the most significant celebrations in the entire life of the nation of Israel. It was, it was that great moment when, uh, when Moses saved the people out of Egypt and ushered them into freedom. It was a significant moment. It was like their 4th of July, Christmas, everything, all combined in one moment. And so literally 50,000 to 250,000 people would descend on Jerusalem and everyone is filling the streets, excited about this event. And the disciples asked Jesus, okay, this is the Passover. It's a big day. It's going to be crowded. Where are we going to stay? And he says, look, there'll be a guy carrying a jar. Go find that guy, which is an odd thing to say for a couple reasons. One, culturally, women were the only ones that carried jars. Sorry, ladies, filled with water. Uh, They were typically the ones doing it, but they're saying like, just go up ahead, find a guy carrying a jar, ask him about a room, and he's going to lead you to a room, and everything's going to be set up. I mean, can you imagine the disciples in that moment? Like, what are you, okay, Jimmy, um, we're here with JC over there. Uh, He says, you got a room for us. Uh, What what are we going to do with this? And they're just like, yeah, I got it already. Come on. And they follow up. He's got the upper room prepared for them to celebrate this feast, and as they get to that feast, they're all sitting around the table. I'm going to talk about that moment in a little bit, but as they're sitting there, Jesus says something. He has the bread. They're all eating. They're all enjoying their time. He says, hey, one of you sitting here is going to betray me. One of the one that's sharing bread with me, one of the one that's in close communion with me, you're going to betray me. And the disciples all look at each other, and they all ask, is it me? Is it me? He says, before the night ends, someone's going to betray me. And they get up from the meal, and they, they walk out, and they sing a hymn. It was likely one of the Hillel hymns. It's uh, from Psalm 116 to 118. And one of the hymns in Psalm 118, it says this, The stone that the builders rejected, this has become the cornerstone. And in Mark 14, verse 26, it says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die, I will be with you. I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And it's crazy. There's this moment that Jesus is walking with these men. He says, you're going to betray me. And you know what, guys? You're all going to abandon me. There's a psalm that says, or in Zechariah chapter 13, it says this. There's a a prediction in Zechariah 13 that if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. He says, you are like the sheep that are going to run when I'm struck. Some 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, he's saying what was predicted then is going to happen here. And Psalm 49.1 says this, even my close friend in whom I have trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. See, every moment of Jesus' life, the perfume, the upper room, the betrayal, the abandonment, everything that would happen in Jesus' life over these next several hours, he says, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. I'm gonna call every play before it happens. And even if you deny it, even if you says, it's not going to happen to me, I'm not going to fall. He's like, look, everything is going to happen just like this. And what's so shocking is that Jesus isn't calling the moments that are going to happen here. He tethers these moments to history. 
He says, some 500 years before you ever betrayed me, I predicted it. Some thousand years during the life of of David, during those Psalms, there was a prediction that that some one of my closest friends was going to betray me. Every play throughout history, Jesus already knew what was going to happen. What does this mean? God knows what's going to happen in your life. Because Jesus knows everything that would happen in his life. He knows everything that's going to happen in your life. Isaiah 46, 9 9 through 10 says this. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times. Things not yet done. There is no one like God. He knew every step that would happen. And you know what? He knows every step that's going to happen in your life. You know what that means? Nothing surprises God. There's no moment in your life where God's going to be like, oh, didn't see that one coming. He knows your future. He knows each step of your life. He knows each success and each failure. And he knows this about you and about me. That oftentimes in life we have great promises but poor follow through. We have great expectations of, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you in life. And God says, yeah, I know. But your faithfulness doesn't guarantee my faithfulness. This is about my commitment to you, not your commitment to me. I know every step that's going to happen in my life and in your life. But not only does he know every step, he knows the cost. He knows the cost. And in the Passover meal, we see this in two moments, in the Passover meal and in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Passover meal, he he takes the boys together and he says something interesting in verse 22. He says this, and they were eating and he took the bread and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. He said, and they all drank it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. He sets up a moment with it, some cups. And what's interesting about the Jewish Passover is how it was celebrated. I mean, it was, it was one of the most epic moments in Jewish history. And they would have a meal. They would all gather together and there would be a sacrificial lamb. See, when God saved the nation of Israel, here's how he did it. He says, you need to take the blood of an innocent one, an innocent lamb, and slit its throat. And you're gonna take that blood and I want you to wipe it on the doorpost of your house. And if anyone is in that house covered by the blood, death will pass over them. They will not be subject to death. And each year after that, for over a thousand years, the Jews celebrated that great rescue of the nation of Israel. And when they celebrated a Seder, the Passover meal, they they would have four cups. And each cup represented some significant moment that they were celebrating from Exodus chapter six. The first cup was called this, the cup of sanctification. They would quote this verse, I am the Lord who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And they would celebrate the the, the salvation of the God and they would drink it together. The second cup was the cup of deliverance. And they would quote this from Exodus, I will deliver you from their bondage. And they would take the cup together. 
And the third cup is what's called the cup of redemption. Oftentimes, the, the person leading the meal would take that last cup and, and he would talk about how God redeemed the nation of Israel, how he bought them out. They would quote this verse, I will also redeem you out with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And they would celebrate God's salvation that he brought in that moment. And it's at this third cup where we get Jesus' words in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus changed what they had been hearing for over a thousand years. He says, this isn't the cup of their affliction. This is the cup of my affliction. He gives them bread and they take the bread and said, this is the cup of my blood. And he takes the cup and drinks it. The word redemption is the word gaal in Greek. It's the word for to buy out, to purchase, to rescue. And he takes that cup and drinks it down. And there's a fourth cup. And the fourth cup at the meal represented this, the hope that one day Messiah would come. The hope that one day these people would be rescued. The fourth cup was that cup of hope. And he says of the fourth cup, I will not drink it until I drink it in the kingdom of God who comes again. He completely flipped their moment and says, this thing that you've been celebrating for a thousand years isn't about them, it's about me. I've come. And one commentator says that this, said this very interesting thing. This meal would always have a main course, a lamb. But if you look and you read in every gospel, you never see a lamb. It wasn't supposed to be a vegetarian meal, but it was. Because the lamb was sitting across from them. Jesus Christ was the lamb of God who was going to take the sin of the world. It was going to cost him himself. And what's, what's interesting is, I, I, as I think about that, what, Jesus, have you ever asked yourself this question? Jesus, why did you have to die? Like, like why was it gonna cost you your entire life? Why did you have to bleed out? Why, why this whole thing? Like, it's, it seems, and, and I'm not trying to be um, sacrilegious, but it seems like overkill, right? I mean, it seems like too big of a kill to save us. And I think about that, and I think about this moment. I'm like, Jesus, did you really have to die? But I was so thankful for some words by Tim Keller who helped really shape my thinking. He says this, every legitimate love requires self-sacrifice. Every legitimate love. And so think about it in you in high school, right? When you're back in high school, there were cool kids and not so cool kids, right? And surely all of you were the cool kid, right? But every now and then, there would be someone less cool than you that you would have to uh, help you know, with their, uh, I don't know, their social ability. And so you would go over them and then you would say to that person, hey, why don't you come hang out with my friends? Why don't you come hang out with me? And you would invite them along with you. And then someone would ask you this question, hey, wh- why are you hanging out with her? Why hang out with him? And in that moment, you feel something. You're like, oh, I don't know I'm hanging out with her or him because they're not cool and I want to make them cool. And you're like, yeah, it requires a little bit of your ego to be lost to give for them. See, every time you give genuine love, it requires genuine sacrifice. Some of you may one day get married, and if you don't learn this lesson, your marriage will be hurting. <laughs> because love and marriage isn't about what you get, it's about what you give. And if you want to genuinely model a life-giving love, you know that you can't just take, you must give. 
there was a there was a story in National Geographic uh, several years ago. There was a huge fire that that ravaged an entire area in in California, as forest fires tend to in California. And as they were walking through uh, this area, what happened is, is they came across this bird that was sitting statuesquely in, in this area where, um, where everything was burned around it, yet this bird was just sitting there. And so the forest ranger walked over and just kind of touched the bird to get it to move and it disintegrated. And when the bird disintegrated, all of these young were just beneath it and began cheeping and talking. See, she literally gave her life for the safety of her young. It was that she took the flame so that they could be saved. Jesus says, Israel, oh Israel, how I long to gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't have me. You see, Jesus knew it was going to cost him his life. And he takes the cup and says, gentlemen, this is the last cup. Let's start walking. And then he walks to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he walks with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's at this moment that we see the emotional toll take its weight on Jesus. How do you walk through a tough circumstance? If you know you've got something that's just going to be overwhelming in weight that you're going to walk into, how do you walk through that? Some of you try to be cool, right? You're just like, ah, just take the bull by the horns, baby. And you just kind of walk forward, like just bravado, feeling good about what you're going to walk into. Some of you are terrified with your friends. You're like, I don't know. Okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And so like, that's your way of walking through it. Some of your girls will be like, whatever, it's freak out. You know, and you're just going to go for it. I don't know how you walk through your trial, but I think there's two motifs in most of our culture. It's, it's bravado, like I'm just going to take it, or it's going to be like this stoic, I'm just going to walk through calm. And I think that's the, the images that we try to put culturally for the, how we walk through trials. But we don't see Jesus do that. What I love about this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane is that he is literally going to take the weight of the world on his shoulders. And we're going to see a very human response. We're going to see a very real response of, of brokenness and crying out. I want to read it to you. Verse, 20, verse 32 says, Now they went to that place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And they began and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. <laughs> he fell to the ground. He knows what's going to be ahead of him, and he's not going to be in bravado saying, attacking it. He falls to his knees and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. In verse 36, he says, Abba, Father. The word Abba in Hebrew is, is daddy. He drops to his knees. And he says, Daddy, is there any way you can take this from me? Is there any other way that we can save humanity? Is there anything that you can do that's different? Daddy, please, have you ever heard a kid yell out, Daddy? Have you ever seen that? You ever see the kid's eyes as they're screaming out for their daddy? They're saying, Daddy, please. 
And he says, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? And Isaiah says, it's the cup of the wrath of God. Ezekiel says, it's the wrath that he will drink. And he says, daddy, please. Is he afraid of the pain? No, he's not afraid of the pain. Is he afraid of the cross? No, he's not afraid of the cross. See, his entire life, he had the community and communion with the Father. Every step along his life, he never felt abandoned. He never felt alone. He had the Father right there with him. And at this moment on the cross of Christ, he's going to get the full wrath of God and experience hell on earth. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be abandoned by everyone. And lastly, he's going to face the full wrath of the Father. And he falls to his knees and says, hey, is there any other way? And God's silent. A deafening silence. Then he prays. But not my will. Let yours be done. It's a terrifying moment in Jesus' life. And I asked myself, Jesus, why did you have to do this? Why did you have to take it like this? And Hebrews 2 gives us some insight into this moment when it says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brother in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is also able to help those when they are being tempted. He's saying, I took everything that you took. Have you ever felt betrayed? So did Jesus. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? So has Jesus. Have you ever felt like no one understood you? So has Jesus. Have you ever felt the odds were against you in life? So has Jesus. And he walked the earth and took every burden. And then lastly, he walked alone. He knew the cost. And he walked alone. In this moment, uh, he's in the garden. And and Judas, who had been ready to betray him, came. And he walks up and he, he greets him and he kisses his hand. It was a, supposed to be a formal greeting, an intimate greeting. And Judas knew that as soon as I kiss his hand in the darkness, that's the man you attack. And Jesus says to him, Judas, with, with a kiss? You're going to take me out with a kiss? Okay. Peter grabs a sword to kind of attack a soldier, and Jesus says, stop it. He heals the man and walks alone all the way to a trial. And the trial is a mockery. In order to convict someone, they had to get one or two people that agreed on a testimony against someone to, to convict them and, and lead them um, to, to whatever consequence there was. They had liars coming up, and they couldn't even get people lying about what Jesus said to agree on anything. And so finally they asked Jesus, okay, what do you say about yourself? 
And he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. You'll see me descending. And he says, that's it. And the chief priest rips his garment and says, he is guilty. Let's kill him. And they rush him through this mockery of a trial. And then you see Peter on the side, who'd been sneaking up, watching this whole thing. And a little girl hears his accent. She says, hey, aren't you from, from Galilee? Aren't you one of his boys? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, little girl. And she gets some other people to go, hey, hey, are you one of them? He says, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. And then it says, lastly, aren't you the man, as they, they attack him one more time, aren't you part of his crew? And Peter's afraid. And it says that he curses. Your text will say that he curses himself, but, but it's more likely they he's saying he curses Jesus to escape the fa- same fate. Solidifying that every single person abandoned him and that he was walking these next steps alone. It's a terrifying moment. And what's so significant is that God knew this was going to happen all along. You see what Jesus says when he has the cups? He says, this is my cup of the the new covenant. There's a new thing that I'm bringing. You see, every covenant in the Bible is a promise that God made to people. And when he separated the nation of Israel, he made a great promise to the nation of Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you this land, and through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. It's going to be amazing, Abraham. And to ratify the promise, he would, they would take animals, they would cut them in two, and what would often happen is the lesser person making the promise would make a promise to the, to the greater person. And they would say, look, if I don't fulfill my end as I walk through these pieces... Let what happened to these animals happen to me. But if you remember the story from Genesis 15, Abraham was put to sleep. And it says that he kind of in a dream saw, like the glory of God, a pillar of fire and smoke, a pot, go through the pieces. Robert Alter, a Jewish um, commentator on this text, says, it's so weird because it's almost like God saying that that he's going to be torn in two for us. But it, but it can't be. God, God couldn't be ripped in two for us. But that's exactly what we see Jesus do. He was torn in two that we might receive the blessings of God. Because we couldn't do, we could not obey God, we could not do what he asked us to do because we are broken in our sin. Jesus took the sin for us. And what's so significant is whoever walks through the pieces is the one that carries the burden. And God says literally, this promise, if you break it, it does not matter. This is about my commitment to you, not your commitment to me. This is about my commitment to you, not your commitment to me. And Jesus walks alone through a mockery of a trial and walks alone through the cross. I want to give you three three pieces from this section, and I'll close our time this morning. The first thing that we see in this is the gravity of our sin. See, the whole world has chosen to go its own way, and this is the cost that must be paid. And as you see that, you're like, okay, Kevin, man, I I understand there's sin in the world, but my sin isn't that bad. But I I would encourage you to just look at the news. In 1964, there was a woman named Kitty Genovese who was brutally raped and killed in New York City. 
She was brutally raped by, in three different attacks all in one night, and all the bystanders just looked the other way. 38 people heard her and did nothing. And in 2010, a similar event happened. I just read this in the New York Times. That a homeless man named Hugo Alfred Tell Yaks died in the street of Queens after being stabbed while intervening in an argument. A number of people walked by him as he lay dying on the street. One man bent down on the sidewalk to shake the man, lifting him to reveal a pool of blood before walking away. And two men appeared to have had a conversation about the situation, one pausing to take a photo of the body before departing. But the rest merely turned their heads and walked away. And God looks at the sin of the world, our sin of omission and our sin of commission. We omit, we don't do the right thing, and we commit, we do the wrong thing. He says there's sin that's so deep in all of us, and someone has to pay. I will. But the second thing we see is the depth of Christ's love. The depth of Christ's love. That he would give everything for us. There's a poem by Malcolm Geit. He says this. He gives himself again and again with all of his gifts. And now we give him something in return. He gave the earth that bears the air and lifts water to cleanse and cool, fire to burn. And from these elements, he for, we forged iron. And from the strands of his life, he wove a growing wood. He made the stones that paved the roads of Zion. He saw it all, and he saw that it was good. Then we took his iron to the edge of an axe blade. We took an axe and laid it to the tree. We made a cross of all that he has made and laid on it the one who made us free. Now he receives again and lifts on high the gifts he gave and we have turned awry. He laid himself down and the people looking at him looked the other way or turned and jeered. He says, I'm laying my life for you, for people that don't even want it. And the last thing we see is that there is hope in every pain. I know this has been a tough morning, and as I was reading and studying this, I'm like, I just don't see a lot of joy in being rejected, rejected, betrayed, and left to die. But there is something that he says on the last cup He says, that's the cup of hope, and I will drink it in the kingdom. There's a consummation of everything. There is hope that is coming. If this was a movie, there'd be like a shining light on that last cup going, this is going to come. There's going to be hope. There's going to be rescue. There's going to be restoration. Everything is going to be made new. This is the dark night before the brilliant light of the resurrection. See, if this is where life ended, we would be beat down. But this isn't the end of the story. He says, I'm going to drink that again when I come in my kingdom. Every pain you feel will be fixed on that day. Every pain of the world will come to renewal on that day. It's going to hurt on Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's going to be painful on Friday. But Sunday's coming. I'm going to close with this. When I was, uh, 
a young guy, my dad showed me a video of a guy preaching, and I was astonished by that because I never watched a guy actually preach. And there was a man, and he talked about uh, when he was a young guy first learning to preach, and he was in this group of, of preachers that were all going to preach at this African-American service. And he says, white people are bad because they're like, stop, stop. But African-American churches are like, go, go, you know, and so it's energizing and exciting. And he says, so I got up there, and I gave my sermon, and I was good. And I was so good, I wanted to take notes on me, right? It was that good, you know? And he's going through his sermon, and people are cheering. It's exciting. It's good. And then there's the old bishop standing there. He goes, you did good, boy. It's like, I hate it when he called me boy. He says, but this old man's going to do you in. And so he stood up, and he did me in with three words, three phrases. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But you had to hear him do it, and I can't do it. But I'm going to do my best version of it. He said, Friday. The disciples were afraid. They were terrified. But they didn't know it was only Friday. Friday. Sundays are coming. Friday, they're betraying. Friday, they're running scared. But they don't know it's only Friday. Friday. Sundays are coming. For an hour, one phrase, Friday, Sundays are coming. Friday, Sundays are coming. And everyone's cheering because they knew this is one small blip on the radar. But there's great Sunday coming. We're going to get to the resurrection. But you've got to see the pain of the cross before you can celebrate the victory of the resurrection. So what do we do with this, guys? What do we do with this? Know the love of Christ. He gave everything for you. Know how much he cares for you. He gave everything for you. Come to his feet because he's there to draw you in in vibrant relationship with the Father. You come to him and you know there's a great Sunday coming when every tear, every pain, everything we face will be fixed and he purchased it on the cross. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I thank you that you laid down your life for us. And you demonstrated your love for us. And you said no one, no one has a greater love than this than a man that would lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what you did for us. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you stepped in and took the hit that we deserved to buy us freedom. I pray that each person here would know the love of God that passes all understanding, that we might know you, Jesus, who gave everything for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Turn your tables, have some great discussion. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. Uh, and we are so glad that you've joined us as we're basically just digging deeper into our sermons from uh, this past Sunday and looking ahead in our ministry at what's coming up. That's right. And we are trekking through the Gospel of Mark at the tail end of this semester, which has been so much fun. Uh, we've had to speed through it in, in some ways because we only <laughs> had about seven or eight weeks to yeah. kind of hit all of it. Um, and we are... At the end of Jesus' life, yes. we are looking at his time in, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, so the la- last night of Jesus' life. Mm-hmm. And then this next week, we'll be looking at um, the cross that he endured. 
And uh, so how have you felt about this, uh, this section of, of the <laughs> well, gospel of Jesus' life? Uh, well, uh, people like to call this the sunshine rainbows part of Mark because <laughs> uh, you just yeah. get to look uh, at uh, Jesus not just suffering, but there's all the buildup to the suffering, which mm. is almost worse than the suffering itself. Yeah. It's something that I think I I just personally often forget. It's just there's so much anticipation. And it's probably even extra f- infuriating for him or extra painful because every time he's, like, saying, like, hey, this is going to happen to, like, all of his best friends, like, hey, I, I need you guys to be around me. Mm. Like, every time they're like, no, 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 no. It's okay. No. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I got you, bro. <laughs> no way. I got you, bro. <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> don't worry about it. And he's like, no, I, I promise. He's like, and you're all going to fall away. They're like, no, 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 no. You're crazy. <laughs> so yeah. I cannot imagine uh, going through that process of, yeah. So anyway, hmm. uh, but looking at the Garden of Gethsemane, man, I, um, hmm. yeah, we uh, were basically saying about the same thing um, at, at the two different campuses. We were talking about just, you know, how do you endure um, through that time and, and kind of how do you, how does God use our suffering? I know that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about next week as well. But yeah. um, man, I, I just know for at Anderson, I, I really tried to stress, and I want to just re-stress uh, the idea that Jesus laid out this example for us of bringing people alongside as He's anticipating the suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, His people were scrubs and did not follow through. Instead, they fell asleep over and over again, um, which that's humanity. And that's what we will also do. Mm. Um, But uh, he still was gracious, I think. And and even though he didn't actually need those people, he gave us this great example of, hey, you've been designed as a human, as a person. Uh, You need community uh, to rejoice with you when you rejoice and to weep with you when you weep. Um, you need people alongside of you that can share the burden uh, of this life. And so, hmm. man, I would just really double stress, like, make sure that you're finding that. It's not too late. A lot of times people hit, you know, middle of the spring. It's April now. And people are like, oh, it's, yeah, I'll just wait till the fall, you know. But the fall's like five, six months away. Like, the, it's it, it's time now. I like, wait to get friends yeah. next year. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is just crazy. Um, it, it's easy to put off, but it's so... It's just not best to do so, and so uh, we, you know, we have opportunities at Grace to find community. Um, there's opportunities at other places. You know, we would love to at least talk with you about that. So, my goodness, please reach out to our staff or our leaders about. I um, mean, what does it look like to find meaningful community, people that can actually walk alongside of me um, in the joys, but also in the the sorrows of, of this world? That's so good, and and really, that, that's what that's what we see in Jesus. This is clearly the lowest part of his life yeah. and uh, in the garden of gethsemane he is he hits his knees literally hits his knees and and says daddy please can we have another way just yeah. one of the most intimate statements that the jewish people would never even use they would never think to use a, a, a phrase that intimate as mm. calling uh, god daddy and and you see him just pour out his heart and he did have his boys beside him. And so you see, like, not only a model of, of what it looks like to, to have community around you, but also what does it look like to, to suffer um, and pour out your heart to God mm-hmm. in, in community. So it's it's powerful. Uh, over at Southwood, we covered uh, 72 verses in Mark chapter 14. I didn't read them all, um, fortunately, but I encourage you to go back and read it. And even as we're marching up to Easter. I would strongly encourage you guys to dig into the Gospel of Mark, mm. um, read these chapters, and see what 
um, the passion, the, the suffering of, of Christ look like over his last couple couple days of mm-hmm. his life. And and one of the pieces I was trying to emphasize is that is that we watch Jesus knowing what was gonna come, knowing his future, uh, receive rejection, abandonment, denial, um, betrayal, all across these this last night of his life. And and what's so interesting about that is as you as you see that moment in his life, you watch him walk through and he's not stoic. Uh He's not dispassionate. He endures each moment thoughtfully and even tearfully, as we see in the garden. And uh, and that's just amazing to see that that the God who created humanity also endured the suffering from that humanity that He loved, and He and He did it tearfully, but purposefully. And purposefully is the last piece I just want to give um, give to us in, in this part of the podcast is that the purpose of His sacrifice was to demonstrate how much he loved us. Yeah. In Jesus' ministry, he said, no, no greater love does a man have than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And, and we watch him literally lay down his life for his love. And I, I think so often as, uh, I don't know, just as people, we can doubt whether or not God has our best interests in mind or doubt that he really loves and cares for us. And, and oftentimes we look at maybe the bad situations that happen in life mm. and say, well, clearly God doesn't care Clearly, God doesn't love because if He loved me, then A, B, C wouldn't have happened. Someone wouldn't have gotten cancer, wouldn't have gotten in a car wreck. Uh, I would have gotten into the major that I wanted, or or some other thing that we say. If God loved me, this would have happened, and it's usually this good thing. And uh, what the cross of Christ, what the suffering and passion of Christ shows us more than anything else, is that God loves us this much. He loves us so much that He would give up everything for us. And, uh, you know, you, you talk to guys that take girls on a date and you're like, do you, do you like the girl? Do you like her? Yeah, I like her. Are you going to take her out to a nice dinner? Yeah, I'll t- totally take her out to a nice dinner, like Torchy's Tacos or, mm. <laughs> or, or something like Get that. the queso uh-huh, and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop 20 bucks on a girl. I mean, Watch I really it. I really like her. You know? Watch it. And, uh, and you're like, yeah, yeah. So so you you kind of show it in, in even these monetary terms or what you're willing to sacrifice for this person to show love. And and God says, look, I love you this much. You're worth my entire life, my betrayal, rejection, denial, and and the brutal death um, that I'll pay for you so that you can be in a relationship with me. And and so there's ever a doubt in your mind that God loves you. All we have to do is look at the cross and say, he loves us that much. He loves us so much that he gave everything for us. So I, I hope that's encouraging as you uh, listen to these talks and as you uh, walk through this week. He loves you. Yeah. So to uh, affirm that, we are uh, going to be having some baptism Sundays coming up uh, in the next month-ish. We are having baptisms at Southwood in the college service on April 23rd Mm -hmm. and on May 7th for Anderson. So Southwood is April 23rd. Anderson is May 7th. Uh, And yeah, we're just, we're really excited to just, uh, you know, proclaim to the world like, hey, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where we align. We're united with Christ, not only in his life and death, but also in his resurrection uh, as symbolized and and seen in the picture of baptism. So uh, if you have interest in that, we would love for you to just reach out. You can email us at college at grace-bible.org. That's college at grace-bible.org. And if you just let us know, hey, I'm interested in baptism, we'll we'll take you to the next step. Uh, and yeah, we, we really hope that you'll join us uh, just in that 
endeavor. It's always fun. I love it. We do it's it every awesome. semester, and it's awesome. It's really powerful. Uh, then this Sunday, so a week from yesterday, this upcoming Sunday, April 9th, uh, we have Family Weekend here in town. It's going to be amazing. Woo-hoo. People are getting rings, and people are just getting excited. Families are showing up. Hotels are booked. Yeah, they uh, are. And so you should bring your family to church with you. Uh, just as, you know, they want to see what you're a part of. They like to be, a, you know, in the middle of your life. And so um, you can bring them, and we know that they're coming, so we've prepared food. So at Southwood, there's going to be a lunch following the service. Uh, at Anderson, there's going to be a breakfast slash brunch uh, in between services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, our goal is just to serve and love your families well uh, because they've done a lot to get you here. That's right. They're great people. That's right. Probably. So we want to feed them food. Yeah. And if you've been wanting to introduce your parents to us uh, but you feel a little awkward about that, don't worry. We would love to meet mom and dad. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm like practicing my handshakes right now <laughs> for all the dads that just the strong dad handshakes. Yeah, that air handshake is pretty I'm just, awesome. I'm rubbing my hand on concrete to try to like build in some calluses mm, so I can be kind of, mm. you know, tough and stuff. It'll be so good. We'll see. <laughs> It'll hey, be great. So thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. I hope you have a great week and look forward to seeing you guys at Parents Weekend. Yep. Have a great week.